Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here as ever with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How's things? Good, mate. Good. Got the Irish special today. Two it is Irishmen. an Irish special. Yeah, I'm wondering if I'll get a word in edgewise. With a, <laughs> we've, got an, we've got an Irish guest and uh, Moriarty's surname. Although uh, I did actually go to an Irish uh, Catholic school myself. So, uh, yeah, I think between us we should have plenty to say. So very excited to have on the show Liam Short, so uh, SMSF specialist or SMSF coach, as you've become known over the years. So, uh, Liam, uh, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Yeah, lovely to join you guys. Look forward to it. So, yeah, give us a bit of your um, Irish heritage first and foremost then. So you were brought up, I think, originally in Kildare, but did you do a bit of time over in uh, Pommyland as well? Yeah, look, I born in Kildare, did my university degree in Limerick and then worked for Bank of Ireland in London as part of that degree and then joined Sun Alliance on their graduate management programme and I finished my degree and worked in good old Oldham and down in Horsham in Sussex. After three years there, I went with them to the Middle East and worked in Saudi Arabia and Oman for eight years. Married an Aussie nurse, came back here for six months in 2001 and never left. Yeah, and now um, based at, um, you're out at Kurajong Heights, I believe. Yeah, so my, my offices are in Castle Hill and, and Windsor, but look, I, I deal with clients all over the country. I, did my, I started from scratch in an accounting and financial planning firm in the in Port Stephens area, and then I moved down to Sydney in 2005, set up my own business in 2006, and um, about 2010, I started really concentrating on educating and marketing to the SMSF sector. I don't believe everybody needs one, about three out of every 10 inquiries, but it certainly helps get people through the door and because that's what they're interested in. And I'm looking for engaged clients. I'm looking for people who want to take control, and if it's not an SMSF, I find another solution for them, and it works well. Yeah, it's been so. It's been quite a journey then from Ireland to England, and uh, I must have told you this before. When I was a kid, I played at Oldham's Football Club. Yeah, because usually in the in the uh, youth teams, you get to play at all the the secondary grounds, the sort of crappy practice grounds. And it, at Oldham, we got to play on the senior pitch, and uh, that was a career highlight for me. It was all downhill from there. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah and, look, uh, lovely people there. Lovely oh, people. fantastic! Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a super part of the world, and. Uh, yeah, Steve is actually, uh, as part of our um, travels, you've spent a bit of time in Manchester and Dublin. So uh, between us, we've we've covered a few kilometres over the last few years, although it's a bit harder now with COVID, obviously. Definitely. Yeah, so um, I, so Liam, I, I first uh, came across your uh, stuff, I think it would have been around about 2009 or 10, I think you sort of came onto my radar as someone who's a specialist in the, the super fund space, particularly for people wanting to take control of their own situation and obviously you know over that span of time one of the the nice things about getting to this stage in life is that you realize you don't need to be 
an expert in everything. And in fact, I could study SMSFs until the ink falls off the page and I'd never know a fifth of what you do. But it's nice to be able to come to a guy like yourself who's been in the space for all of that time and you just know the rules and know the answers. Just as a sort of a, an overview question, and this is so probably going back a bit uh, further than the self-managed super fund days, but what is actually you know, the purpose of superannuation? How did the system even come about in Australia? Because uh, being a POM, of course, it's not the same system in Europe. Really in Australia, it was, you know, you're, you're going back over 20 years around 1990 and the decision to, to bring in superannuation. And the idea was that people would forego some of their increases in salary in order to, to put money away in, for retirement. And it, the whole focus of superannuation has always been the sole purpose test. Everything that you do with your superannuation must firstly meet that sole purpose test of pro- providing you a retirement income. I think it was something that wasn't too popular when it started. Um, you know, People thought that they would have to give up their, their raises and their salaries to put money away, and nobody likes being told to put money away. But it's been one of the best things that ever happened to Australia because you know, by far many people in Australia are going to retire much better than those overseas because they've got a decent superannuation nest egg. Yeah, I mean, I can remember. So this is uh, just a part of my own personal journey. I, uh, like a lot of Brits, came over to Australia as a backpacker and my first job was um, sorting mail and delivering boxes of wine and stuff. And I had to make a superannuation contribution then. And of course, as a backpacker, I'm thinking, well, hang on a second. Why am I having to make contributions <laughs> here to something you know, that I'm not going to be able to access for 40 years? And uh, didn't feel to me as though it was relevant. But of course, you know, you can see how over the years in Australia, the superannuation system has been tremendously effective at getting people, almost forcing them to save for you know, certainly compared to many other countries, um, it's a very, uh, it's a strong position for Australia to be in, partly because, you know, as you said, it's it's sort of directing people to actually think about their retirement years. So, Steve, I know you've got, Steve, you were actually an early adopter of um, self-managing your own superannuation. I know you've got a, a range of questions for Liam, so I'll flick over to you. Yes, thanks, mate. Uh, Liam, I've got a couple of questions which are fairly run of the mill for you, but a lot of the time you hear this thing about, oh, you need at least a million bucks to start your own self-managed super fund. And then the the assumption there, well, I think sort of partially, is and you need a million bucks to retire on. Then you see an article that says, no, 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 you only need 300000 because you can get a part pension and stuff like that. Where do you sort of stand on that, on those areas? Yeah, look, it depends on what you want to invest in. So if you're somebody who's going to take a bit of control of your own investments, then you can really start a self-managed super fund with you know between two and five hundred thousand, right. because you, you can use low-cost ETFs, direct shares. Instead of using bonds, you might use term deposits. So there's no fees, and you're ensuring that whatever systems you're using will data feed into the software of the the SMSF account or administrator. You know, I, I can see people that are, are are running and getting their administration for you know seven hundred to to fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, which is very competitive towards mm. any fund, mm. but it's more it, it that it all comes down to you taking that responsibility to to be in control. As far as what people need to retire on, there is that anomaly in Australia that at the moment, because of low interest rates, somebody with a million dollars is outside that limit to be able to get any age pension to get cut off around eight hundred and eighty thousand. At the moment, they're probably only as good off as somebody with four hundred or five hundred thousand that's getting three quarters of the age pension. Yeah, yeah. But you know that's not going to be always the way. 
interest rates long term will go back towards the the norm. Um, and you know what I see with most people is they don't want to have a fortune, but they want to know if the washing machine breaks down or if if they need to go and visit family overseas, that they have their own money to do it. They're not going to be beg borrowing to try and find that money. So I think most people want that that level of independence and the level of, of security of having their own money. But um, it's we do have a great security net here with the age pension. And remember, superannuation was always designed to supplement or replace the age pension. It was, you know, it it, it is there to supplement. Was Paul Keating's way of, of putting it originally? Yeah. But the other thing I I find, I've you know, I've got a self managed super fund, and I, but like you say, the administration is about I think a thousand dollars a year or something. But the the thing I find really good is that if you keep a really simple, I only do stocks. That's all I do in my super fund. I don't do property or anything else. And what I find these days is that you can do your tax return in about 15 minutes because they've captured, they basically write to you and say, have you got anything other than this? It's like nut, and they go, right, okay, we'll put it into the tax office. Yeah. Look, I, I, I provide a, either a ComSec or a Macquarie Online Trading end-of-year report to the administrators. They already get the data feed if they want it. And most of the stuff is already on the portal because you, you have to give your tax file number. So it's all there. So it's only when people start moving into other areas like, like property or bullion or you know uh, managed funds, then you, you do have added costs. But it's a trade-off between you pay a little bit extra to get that extra ex- experience or expertise and making sure that it's all – I try and stress to people, you do what you think you're strong at and don't be afraid to bring in experts to do the other stuff. Yep. And, that, and that's why I love the SMSF sector because you know, in, in the association, for example, we've got financial planners, accountants, auditors, mortgage brokers, lawyers. If I don't know the answer, I know somebody who does. So you, as right. Pete said earlier, you don't have to be a master of everything. You just need to know who's, who you can go to to get the answer. Yep. Um, and it's really good. I just need a bit of clarity about what you actually do yourself. Like what service do you provide to if I ring you and go, Liam, I want to do a self-managed super fund, dot, 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 you know, what happens from there? Yeah. So, look, I tend to focus on strategy and the big picture first. So, it's looking at someone's circumstances and then saying, how can we use the tax superannuation and central right. systems to make the most of their circumstances, looking at their insurance to make sure whether they're, they're protecting their family, and where's the next place, the best place to put the next dollar? So, in a lot of cases, it's paying down non-deductible debt first. Yep. But also looking at salary sacrifice. You know, the amount of people that are on big salaries and yet they're not salary sacrificing and saving themselves money. And things like super splitting to a spouse with a lower balance, you know, looking at all the strategies they can use to and what we try and do is put everybody, all of our clients, into a position at 60 where they're controlling whether they work or not going forward and how they do that. And that, that's my big aim at most clients. When self-managed super first came around, I remember reading a couple of books at the time and uh, the general views at that time seemed to be, well, there's a bit of set, uh, cost involved to, towards getting set up and uh, therefore you should probably have, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars in super before you even think about self-managing. One of the things that Stephen often talks about, the, you know, the benefits of managing your own money, Steve talks about the three Cs, cost choice and control uh, so my question is do, do you ever get clients come to you and do you sometimes say look uh, you know this may not be for you because you don't have enough of an interest in managing your own money 
Or do you sometimes get clients and they you just think, look, your balance probably isn't big enough just yet. And maybe it's you know something you might look at down the track. So I guess my question is, are there certain people that self-managing is is right for? And do you have other people you think, oh, look, it might not be for you? Yeah, as I said, not everybody's suited to it. And you'd be surprised. Some people who come in really, really eager, they've got a fairly big balance. And then when I sit down and I'm, and we can't even get them to have a meeting. You know, we can't get them to put the time aside for a, a meeting to build up. So I just say to them, look, it's not right for you at the moment. Let's build up your super in your in your industry or your, your retail super fund. Get to the stage where you can actually take a, a, a breath or one of you can actually focus on, on running the fund. Because it is going to, you know, for a lot of people in their 40s and early 50s, it's their biggest asset other than their home. And their home has a bloody big mortgage on it. Hmm. So what they, you know, it's a, it's a big asset to take care of, and then I get others who, you know, they really want control, but they've got a, a small balance, and I'm just, I work with them then to say, let's pump up your contribution, save you some tax on your individual tax by doing salary sacrifice. Let's review your insurances and make sure you're not paying too much for stuff you don't need, because what you find a lot of people are interested in in self managed super funds, they've got control of their debt, but they may still be holding on to a couple of million dollars worth of insurance. That was to pay off that debt originally. So it's a matter of, re, as I said, restructuring their finances and going, where's that? Is that dollar better off still paying for insurance? Or should I be saving it and building it up to, to put it into super fund? I don't like starting them for less than 250 just because of the costs involved. And again, if someone's coming to me, they're paying an advice fee on top of the administration. So I won't take someone on unless I feel I can add the same value as my fees or more and that they get multiple of that back over the years. So, yeah, not everybody's suited to it. And sometimes it's the people that you think, uh, you know, would be a no-brainer for a super fund that I have to say, absolutely not. If you can't spend five minutes checking stuff and, and signing forms, you don't, you just shouldn't have a super fund. Yeah, that makes sense. In fact, there's a couple of things there. You know, obviously, a lot of us these days with various careers or family commitments, some people are just very, very busy. And also, uh, one of the things that Steve and I do, we have this uh, Enneagram uh, personality assessment. And for some people, they're just not that interested in the day-to-day management of their money. And maybe if that's you, if you're just not interested, then it's probably not for you. Now, the, the nature of a podcast like this is that most people who bother to tune in obviously do have an interest in self-determination and you know, creating their own wealth. But uh, Steve, I know you had a couple of questions there on uh, sort of the mistakes that people make could make in their super because as uh, Liam said outside of the family home it's very often the biggest asset that people have you're just talking there about basically people's interest and level of enthusiasm how much time do you need to manage yourself super fun I personally have said to people I I don't manage much of it at all because first of all I only have stocks in there so it's not complicated or anything like that my provider always sends me a newsletter or an update and a tax thing saying, oh, you know, you got to do your annual checklist. And I then the second part is what's the biggest problem that most people have with their, their sort of super? I would assume, Liam, that a lot of it is they want to do their self-managed super and that's where you help them say, right, I will talk about, like, do you talk about what stocks to buy or ETFs or, you know, asset allocation, rebalancing, yeah. that sort of stuff? So, look, we, we really focus on asset allocation to start with. Right. But, the, you know, the first question is what they're interested in. What will make them comfortable and what will get them engaged in putting more money into super and saving for themselves? And it may not be putting more into super. It might be putting into another 
vehicle or in the in the, the husband or wife's name, but looking at what's best for them. Um, but you know, as far as time, it at one stage, you know, I think ASIC were saying if you couldn't put three hundred hours away um, to manage your super fund, then you know, sort of, it, it it wouldn't be viable for you. Most of my clients will do ten to twenty hours a year maximum. Yeah, that's um, a lot right. of that is you know I send them out research, um, you know whether it's on direct shares, ETFs, but we do focus a lot on getting the asset allocation right, but also. Most of my clients were long-term investors, you know. So we're not going to be chopping and changing every week. You know, we're we're looking for the stocks, the the companies, the the managed funds, the ETFs that will provide over the longer term. And we may add in some sector specialties, like at the moment, you know, an ETF like ACDC or yeah, you know, that, yeah. that or the antivirus one. You know, because I think. The next big issue is not going to be a, a COVID virus. It may be a, a hacking virus. So it, look, a lot of it's about just saying, what are you comfortable with? And for some people, that's property. Okay. So if it is property, then one, I say to them, we've got to look at the tax effectiveness of having a property in super where the negative gearing is only 15% maximum. Or do we get that first property? Do you get that first property outside in your own names first? And then look at the super fund for your second property and keep building the super up in the meantime. Let's cover off the the property aspect there, as yeah. uh, Liam brought it up. It's a bit of a, a hot topic at the moment. So one of the issues that came up in Super a few years ago, there was uh, some lenders came into the space and there was people borrowing at, say, 5 or 6%. But then uh, with the Banking World Commission and uh, I guess a lot of that non-standard lending kind of went out the window. And a lot of people, even though the cash rate fell to zero, a lot of people were stuck paying 5 or 6% in their super funds, although some lenders seem to have come back into the space now. I guess there's a, a couple of questions that just hang off that, Liam, in terms of the mistakes that you see people make with uh, property and super, because uh, we were chatting just before we came on, and you know, even today you might be borrowing at a higher mortgage rate. And also, um, I, I don't know if it still goes on as much, but certainly when self-managed super funds uh, first came about, I remember going to the the, uh, the big expos there, and there was people, you know, you'd almost walk along and there'd be people trying to collar you and say, yeah, why don't you buy a, a unit, at, you know, in Surface Paradise off the plan? And, you know, there was definitely a lot of people sort of commission-hungry agents in the property space targeting super funds. So can you give us a bit of a, a few of your thoughts in terms of you know, if people want to do residential property, what are the mistakes to avoid and how should they actually go about structuring it? Yeah. So look, as I said, if, if they are looking at residential property, one of the main things is they really need to look for a property that's got decent growth because with the way prices have gone in the last couple of years, you're really struggling on rents. You know, people are looking at, at you know, two, 3% net net rental yields, and maybe maybe they might struggle to get four or five. But interest rates for limited recourse borrowing, which, which is inside super, those rates are still high. They're still 4% plus. A lot of and the the number of providers has reduced significantly. Very few of the none of the big banks are really in that sector. So you're looking at the Latrobes, the Liberties, the Think Tank, the you know they're the specialist lenders, which is it's probably better for that sector. But so what you know when people go and they say, look, I'm going to buy a property in there, if they're not making decent contributions into the fund, they won't be able to make up the shortfall between what they're paying in costs for the interest, the maintenance of the property. The running of the super fund, um, insurance, and you know all trying to do that off two to three percent yield on a property, it's not going to happen. So they've got to be making decent contributions each year to make up that shortfall. And with a with a property in super, 
it can't be set and forget. We still look long-term, but if a property is not performing and there's no growth, like as Pete said, the amount of people that bought properties up on the, the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast, um, I'm looking at some of them 10, 14 years, and they've made maybe 20%, like 2% a year mm. over all that time. And now the costs are coming in to refurbish them and renovate them. And, you know, and there's a brand new place built next door. In Queensland, they just seem to build another suburb next door. You wouldn't believe how often I've heard that story over. Well, you probably would believe how often I've heard that story over the years. But it's uh, very often it's where you know, people have been encouraged to buy you know brand new property, and they obviously pay a premium to do so. Uh, and they're very often in sort of developments that are specifically targeted at uh, super fund investors or offshore investors, and there's no no real point of scarcity. And they yeah they just systematically underperformed. So I'll, I'll let me cover off that question that Steve mentioned on the young people and super, and then I'll flick back to you, Steve. So this is more of a sort of a big intergenerational question, if you like, or it's probably more than what, it's probably two questions. So firstly, um, as I sort of alluded to before, when I first had to make a contribution to my super, I, I really begrudged the whole process because you know, it felt to me like I was, you know, I might not even live till I was 60. Um, so, you know, like how, um, you know, and I was obviously much more interested in, you know, traveling and backpacking and the like. Uh, so firstly, you know, how do you go about getting young people actually interested in super when you can't access it for years into the future? And I, I think, um, you know, probably, you know, to tie it back to my own personal situation, you know, how do you think about the end game for super? So how do you even wind up a self-managed super fund and you know how do you best pass money on to the kids you know is, is a loan a better way to go or do you actually wind up the fund so yeah i guess it's it's a big sort of sweeping question about the life cycle of self-managed super yeah well look a lot of the idea with a lot of clients children now because we, we're trying to work on intergenerational transfer so a lot of what we talk about is when you're in your 20s just take the highest risk possible it's going to be 50 years before you can touch your you're super anyway. So there is no point in holding cash and fixed interest, especially if your, drip, your money's drip feeding in. So you don't have a big balance to start with. Take the risk in your youth. So, you know, and, and all, all our aim is that by the time you're 45, you want to have a decent amount there that you can start investing in the areas that you're interested in to build it up for, for retirement. And also to understand enough about super that when your parents pass away or if earlier they start passing money to you, that you understand the, the responsibility that comes with managing your money. With a lot of my clients, I, I, I say never give money to children. Uh, so we use private loans to, to most of the, the clients' children just in case something goes wrong. They get in a messy relationship, you know, something they, they try and get involved in some sort of scheme or cryptocurrency or something like that. So just to try and make sure that before you give them money, that they understand the value of it. I see a lot of young people now and they look at the Australian share market, they're just not interested in that. None of the stocks, none of the products that they use. So, you know, I see them looking at you know, services like Stake or, you know, those that allow them to get involved in the, in the US stocks or overseas stocks. And I think it's great. You know, they don't have much money, but they're, they're investing in stocks they understand. They understand how they're making money. I see my son do it and he just sort of go, that's great. They, they can't do too much damage. So by the time their parents do go to leave them some money, and we're going to see a huge intergenerational transfer over the next three decades. So, And there was a case for the last 20 years, people really haven't taught their kids about money. 
they've spoon fed them. They've taken care of them. They felt, you know, it's a whole generation that has been, you know, hand fed over the time. Cotton, the uh, cotton, yeah. cotton wool pig. Exactly. Sort of yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now it's time. I'm saying to parents, you could do more damage to your kids by giving them money. So please take the time to make sure that they learn. So a lot of the savings plans we do with, with people's you know, adult children are if they put a dollar away, the, the family members will put a dollar away for them as well. We use the first home super saver scheme. That's where you know, someone in their 20s or 30s can salary sacrifice into super, um, save themselves personal tax. But then when it comes to buying a house, they can take it out for a deposit. Um, so we get the parents to, to match whatever they put in as well. And so it's a really great way of, of, of saying, look, rather than getting the, the 0.1 or 0.25% in a, a bank account, get it into your super, earn su- at, the, at the rates that even, you know, great fund like the Australian super, you know, 8% to 9% a, a year over, you know, five, 10-year periods. That interests young people to see it growing at that level. What they don't, you know, you ask them to save into a bank account at the moment and they just, it's miserable. You know, so they, they want to see decent returns. And so it's all about educating. And that's, I think that's what I've always focused on is if I can educate people to be engaged with their money, whether it's their super or the non-super, you're a winner. Because if they will then look and be willing to put money away, whether it's into a, a property or into their super or, you know, into a, even a savings plan for a decent holiday. If you get them engaged in it, it's a lifetime memory. So yeah, we talk about an awful lot of different subjects on this podcast, but I think you know, that that last few minutes that you've just talked there is probably some of the most important subjects in Australia at the moment. You know that intergenerational transfer of wealth, but also, as you said, I think too often parents have mollycoddled kids and they've tried to almost you know, tick off their goals for them without ever passing on the education about how to you know, understand money. And um, Scott Paper's done a lot of great work in this space with the Barefoot Investor and also the Barefoot Investor for Families. So there's some good reads for people. But also, um, I mean, you've already plug, mentioned... Uh, you've, got to, you've got to plug your own book, mate. This is a book <laughs> for kids, have you? Wealth Ways for Families. Yeah, that, and, <laughs> and that one. Yeah, thank you for the plug, Steve. We're all good books uh, to solve. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, you, you'll find even just in the summaries of those books, you know, some of the things that you can do. You mentioned the idea of the matching concept there to get kids to buy into the process. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I mean that's a whole probably other podcast in its own right, but uh, it's really important stuff to try and get kids educated and understanding uh, the power of education and money. So, Steve, I know you had a question on how active you need to be. If you're going to be somebody who self-manages your super, is it something you need to look at annually or quarterly or whatever? So, uh, Steve, I know you had a few questions on that. Yeah, it's just an interesting thing because I... I, I think what you were saying, Liam, about the education and the reason why I was asking those questions at the start about, you know, is it a million bucks or 100,000 and, you know, do you have to have an advisor and an accountant and, you know, an army of people is mainly because there seems to be a sort of move to discourage people from self-managed super funds. And I think part of that is probably regulators are a bit cautious because they don't want, as you say, uneducated people going, oh, I'll do my own super fund and and losing money. But secondly, also from an industry point of view that's self-interested, you know, they don't want to be managing mum and dad super funds. They want to to have the institutions. So there's a couple of questions there. If I was to bring someone to you, for example, and say, Liam, you know, I want Bill here to do a super fund, what would you say is the biggest problem that 
you've come across in terms of, you know, like do people over, you know, they get interested and they over allocate or they go crazy or they do crypto or what's the biggest issue that most people have with it? Look, the, the starting issue is the lack of trust in the in the system right. um, because it's it's just something that it's got jargon, your concessional contributions, non-concessional yeah. contributions, yeah. ETFs, you know, crypto bullion. So it's it's it really comes down to education first. And so if somebody comes to me and they've got no clue, they've just been told that a super fund, a self-funded super fund is a great vehicle, then I just go, look, I've got 250 blogs on my blog there. Yeah. Let's just read the educational part about it. And I, I just go down and say, what are you trying to achieve? So if it's somebody says, oh, I just want to buy stocks. And, and I said, well, look, we can do that through an Australian super DIY offer. Or we yeah. can do it through a wrap. We don't need to give you the responsibilities of being a trustee um, and you know, the chances of getting that wrong. So, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of saying, look, what's right for you at this time? And, and then, you know, I get a lot of people say, look, I want to build up my super. Um, and eventually I want to diversify and I want to be able to have a, a property in there later on as well. And I want to, you know, I want to do some other things. So what we say is let's do the stepping stones. Let's see what suits you now. Do you have the time? Do you have the inclination to actually go and learn? The A2 are great. They've got a great website now for self-managed super funds. You have 23 little vi- two-minute videos that's probably enough to educate most people on on what they need to know, but it's enough to tell to make people also think maybe it's not for me. And and then it's a case of if they do want one, it's to what level. So I get a lot of people who are very interested in Australian shares, have absolutely no clue about bonds and fixed interest. Yeah. International, they they're just not sure about it. They've heard all the big names, they're just just not sure how to access access them. So what I say is, look, okay, you manage your your Australian side of it. I'll make sure you get decent research um, and we can discuss that side of it. I'll build up your confidence on that, but I'll work on the rest of the asset allocation on the other sectors and show you the value of diversification. Okay. Right. What I do is I get a, I do get a lot of small business owners and they're great because they've been used to taking advice from their, their accountant, from their lawyer, and they know they're good at what they do in their business and they know it's worthwhile paying for someone to, to be an expert in, in another area. So, you know, for a lot of small business owners, our, our goal is to own their, their business property inside their self-managed super fund. One, it's for bankruptcy protection, just because things can go wrong with any business. Look at COVID. Some great businesses are going to the ground because you know, of something that was totally unforeseen. Down, yeah. So you know, I've got clients too, who've got really decent commercial properties inside the super funds. They kept on growing during COVID. So their their wealth is you know, part of their wealth is secure. Yes, their business may be under under pressure at the moment, but it's not everything. So they they've got that other passive income stream is starting to is still there and coming through. So you know it, it's really about trying to achieve a long term goal, and it is to be totally self sufficient in retirement if possible, but knowing that the Centrelink system is there as a backup if you need it. Yeah, that so, makes sense. And we've we've uh, had a lot of uh, particularly healthcare specialists over the years who've um, chosen to buy their business premises in their super fund, and it it works out quite nicely from a structure perspective. Uh, yeah, especially for people in the healthcare sector, but also other businesses as well. I, I'm just um, looking back on my journey, as I mentioned, when I, I uh, did my early career in London, and then I was in Sydney, but then I lived in East Timor for a number of years. So for me, the yeah, the superannuation has never been a particularly big part of the puzzle. And I, I think I started self-managing around 2015 or so, and I've, I've got a property and some stocks in there. Uh, but it's not for me, it's not a, a huge part of the overall picture. 
so Liam, this is just a personal question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want. But do you, did you choose to self-manage your own superannuation? And if so, uh, what do you do in there? Yeah, so look, I, I live by my own rules. I refused to let myself set up a self-managed super fund until I had 200,000. I didn't have much when I came. I had a little bit of UK pension that I transferred across. Um, so I had about 40,000 when the average person my age at the time probably had 150. So I put all my money into a perpetual geared share fund and an international version, a colonial first choice international gear, geared share fund. And I just I just kept on plugging them in you know, my, my just SGC, nothing else, but it grew nicely over a 10-year period. And then, I yes, I set up my own SMSF. I made the classic mistake of thinking I could get involved in a, a property development with a, a friend. Um, he, they were really good builders, but they were not good developers. So that, you know, I learned my lesson. I lost about 75,000 of my initial capital on, on that development. Now what I have is a, a, a I use the Vanguard ETFs as a diversified core to my, my portfolio. And then I'll pick individual stocks and sector ETFs to basically you know, look at satellites around that. And yes, I'm looking at a, a commercial property. You know, that, so that's my next move is that the next business property, well, it was, I must say, last year. Now I'm thinking twice that I may never actually go and bother buying an office anymore. At the moment, my staff, even before COVID, they were spread in five different locations. So it was always a case of I don't need a big place, but I'd love to own it in my super fund if I was going to buy one. So this year I've had that, that thought that, you know, maybe that's not going to be for me. So I might look at a residential one. Again, I, I, I do what I say. At the moment, I don't believe I can find a decent property that can deliver me the results that will pay the interest on the loans, the cost of running the fund, and give me a decent return. You know, why wouldn't I just leave it in a, in a good ETF that's earning 8 9% a year, take a risk that you know, I'm, I'm going to go backwards? Yeah, so, it's a good good point. Yeah. Uh, with the yeah, there's a quite a high hurdle, I think, on on property at the moment in super funds in particular because of all the extra costs plus the high mortgage rate. Uh, just a uh, one other question from me, and I'll hand back to Steve. The um, you mentioned there um, some of the setbacks as well as the successes, and it's uh, it's great to have that uh, sort of pull back the curtain because you often hear about you know people just telling you how great everything is and you know it's good to hear both sides of the story and i, I think uh, probably uh something not to discuss on the podcast my forays into the the world of investing in art but uh steve will have a laugh about that <laughs> <laughs> the um I, we I, already I, know how that ended yeah. <laughs> yeah i just stick to property and stocks these days but i suppose the question was do you get people come to you in self-managed super and say look i want to do you know two percent or five percent in gold or cryptocurrencies or art or something else, um, you know, racehorses or whatever. What do you say to people when they come to you with ideas that are outside of the, the usual? I look and see what insider knowledge they have in that sector. So, for example, you know, the only clients that I have that are in crypto are people in the IT field. And they, you know, they know 10 times more than me about the crypto sector. And I've watched what they do. Good investors, they they understand the technology. They, you know they're not going for the the dodgy coin or the you know the thing that they can't understand. They're more interested in the blockchain technology and where that's going to take take things in the future. So you know, it's if someone comes to me with an odd idea, I go, "What's your advantage in that sector?" So for example, I've got one gentleman and he engineer. He's an engineer, and what he knows about mining 
you know, he'll forget more than I'll ever learn. He has just, he has a, a diversified core and then he has about 50% of his money that he just he just goes in and out of mining stocks, resources stocks. And, you know, the, over the last couple of years, he's made a fortune in, in battery technology and lithium and, and nickel. And he was well ahead of everybody else. So, you know, he had that insider knowledge in that sector that meant that he could make money. I've seen the same from a, a mechanic who buy, he buys classic cars and he does them up. But you know, he will he will spend months going around finding a decent one that he, he can make a difference on. And you know, he never gets to drive them in a super fund. He never gets the ability to enjoy the the the, the vehicles, but he's made a fortune in in you know doing them up and, and selling them on again. Um, so yeah, for anybody who comes with the wild ones, what's your inside knowledge in that sector? Yeah, I definitely have no insider knowledge when it comes to investing in art. And I've, uh, I've so, I, I'm, I'm how zero. Is, how is the fake Renoir, mate? <laughs> I'm zero from one on that side of the equation. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Steve, I'll, uh, I'll let you, um, I'm, uh, I'll flick over to you because I know you had a, a couple of other questions and then we'll wrap up. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you got the fake Mona Lisa up the back there <laughs> for 50 grand. I'll stick to property, I think. <laughs> um, just a, a, a final one, Liam, in terms of a lot of the time you hear about, you hear the complaints about Australian super and, you know, it's a geek for the rich and, you know, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. How does ours compare? My understanding is, for example, I spent time in Japan and a lot of the Japanese do a, have a defined benefit pension system. And what I noticed was that a lot of countries that have defined benefit, people get to 60 or 65, go, I don't care about stocks because I'm getting, you know, 80 grand a year and that makes, makes my, um, my retirement life comfortable. How does Australia's system compare with the, the rest of the world? Are we, you know, up there or pretty good or... We are a system where it's an accumulation system now where you take most of the risk. There are still some old defined benefit schemes. And look, if somebody comes into me and even dares mention coming out of one of those, I just I give them a slap in the face. Yes, that's they, what I do. Yeah, there has to be a good reason. I, you know, I took somebody out of them a number of years ago because they were 60, they had a terminal illness, and they didn't have a spouse. So if they'd gone in, if they'd taken the defined benefit pension, there would have been nothing left for family. Yeah. In their case, they took out the lump sum. It put it into a normal pension. When they passed away, their family got all the money. Yeah. But a defined benefit pension means that it's the providers taking the investment risk. Yeah. Now, the problem nowadays is over the last 20 years is that's a huge risk. Yeah. Interest so, rates are so low and they've got yeah. to get 8% and stuff. And, and that's why you're seeing all these uh, California pension fund, Ontario yeah. pension fund. They're coming over to Australia and they're trying to attack any business that's got a decent regular income stream, yeah. you know, I use the Australian um, Unity Healthcare Property Trust a lot. It's been a great investment for my clients. And then this Northwest property from, from uh, Canada tried to come in and take it over. You know, I had clients that were <laughs> physically phoning up Australian Unity going, if you dare, if you even, <laughs> yeah. And it was a hostile, you know, it was a hostile a bid, yeah. a, a bid on it. So, you know, we really need to be careful that, you know, a lot of those defined benefit schemes over around the world are now getting in trouble. And the problem is if the legislation isn't strong enough in those countries to back up, the, those companies are holding enough reserves to pay those pensions, mm. there's going to be a nightmare. There's going to be a lot of those people. And it's already happening with, you know, in, the, in America, especially where a lot of the funds invested in the company itself 
Yes. So people not only worked for the company and depended on their salary on it, but their pension was invested in that as well. And I see it a lot from, I've got a few South American clients. They almost always want a self-managed super fund because the pension funds in Argentina or Chile have been privatized, nationalized. And paid nothing. Yeah, it's just been ripped away from them. So they just don't trust the system. And that's where self-managed super funds, you talked about the, the control aspect. That's where for somebody like them to put money into super, you've got to give them the confidence and the control of managing it themselves to, you know, before they'll put more money in. Because, you know, if you go through your 40s and 50s and you're not being tax effective and where you're saving your money, you could be knocking 20% off your retirement savings. And you, you, know, Pete, you know the power of compounding. If I can get someone saving in their 20s and 30s, they don't yeah. have to worry in their 60s. Yeah, yeah. Compounding will take care of them. Yeah. Yeah, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. So there's um, this is actually a podcast worth re-listening to a couple of times because there's some real nuggets of wisdom in there. Uh, Liam, give yourself a plug. Uh, obviously, people can track you down on on Twitter at smsfcoach or also on your website smsfcoach.com.au. Get the words yeah. out. Um, but um, give yourself a bit of a plug and tell us about your business. Yeah, look, so my, my business is we're part of a firm called Verante Proprietary Limited. So it's just a financial planning firm. And as I said, I, while I market heavy and I educate heavy to the SMSF sector, it's really to get to, into people who want to be engaged and want to have control for the future. So you know, don't I don't want people to be afraid that I'm just going to try and push them into an SMSF. As I probably only two out of every 10 people that come in to see me end up in SMSF. And that's usually because they... they it really is suiting their circumstances. So I'm a, what they call a holistic financial planner. You come to me, I look at what you're comfortable at, what you're trying to achieve, and, and how the system can work for you. And I develop a strategy around that. So I'm, I'm not aligned to anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not biased towards any one sector or anything like that. Crap property investor. So what, <laughs> and, but what I keep on telling people is if I can make those mistakes, what you should be willing to do is either put a lot of research in yourself or I'm really pushing people to use decent buyer's agent because I've picked up the, the you know the ashes of people who have gone to seminars and they've been you know they've been sold properties that are sixty and seventy thousand above the value. I said that, that you know if even if you have to, if you've paid ten or fifteen thousand to a, a buyer's agent, he's working for you. You know you will get the the benefit from that. I can't do it. I'm not strong in that sector. I'll do the structure and the strategy behind it. You go and either do the research yourself or find a, a buyer's agent to work with because it's such a large amount of money now that you have to, to have to go into a property. Mm. You can't make mistakes on it. Yeah, very wise words. Well, uh, we should let you go and enjoy your uh, Friday evening. Uh, Liam, you're lucky to be in a beautiful part of the country there, yeah. um, even with the restrictions. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, as I said, if you want to check out some more, uh, Liam's website there, SM smsfcoach.com.au so thanks for joining and um, we'll see you all next week cheers really enjoyed it guys thank you thanks thanks, thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book low rates high returns just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. 
Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.